0: to Twibley, or this week was way better last year my name is bill with one l with me it is a far far better thing that he does now than he has ever done and it is a far far better rest that he goes to than he's ever known it is jeff mclarge huge i feel
1: like that's a funeral thing i don't know if i want to go to a far far better rest
0: it might be a nice
1: nap i I am starting a vacation week so maybe there's that yeah, and I got a
0: purple mattress
1: not all that long ago so I'm actually sleeping at night instead of oh. uh my mattress is like beige colored but I put sheets on it
0: <laughs> Man, that was that was like my my present to myself this year with my my tax money a new mattress yeah that's uh it was it was a a pretty penny it was a couple of thousand put it this way I have never owned a nice bed in my life ah. you know it, like even, even into my 30s I was sleeping like on, on a futon you right. Know? I, it was one of those things that i never really thought spending a lot of money on it mm-hmm. you know but the sales pitch is hey you spent a third of your life in bed so you may as well spend the money right so yeah i don't want to run like a, a big endorsement for purple mattresses but i like it i like it a lot oh
1: nice cool i bought mine at a this is years ago now we had had a mattress that we got right when i got married so it was like 1995. And uh, it was like a two hundred dollars special that we had multiple mattress toppers on to try and make it comfortable. Yes. And eventually swapped that out for a grown up mattress, for a grown, up, grown up person's <laughs> mattress, and it was like, oh.
0: <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember crashing at your house one time and like sleeping on your bed. Your your bed's like one of those super soft ones. Yes. My mattress prior to the one that I had now, I had bought it at like a BJ's Wholesale Club. Yeah. And it, and it had like a mattress topper built on, like a pillow top, I think yeah. they called yep. it. It only took me like a year before I started getting like horrible leg pain, like waking up, like screaming in agony just because of like pinch points and pressure points and stuff like right, that.
1: Right, right, right.
0: Because I mean, most mattresses, when you get to that point, you just flip them over, you know? Yeah,
1: you can... Th- I forget the name of the guy who ruined the flippable mattresses, but now they became no-flip mattresses in like the end of the 1980s as a yeah, way to well, uh, make you buy yeah. a mattress every six years instead of every 12.
0: Well, yeah, well, that's what happened to me is I, I tried flipping the mattress over and the the <laughs> bottom of it was like, Yeah, it was was like a piece of plywood. So I ended up going out and buying like a a $100 mattress topper Mm -hmm. and putting it on top of the plywood. And that's how I slept for a long time. It was actually more comfortable than the pillow top.
1: Yeah, that's definitely time to get another mattress when that happens. I haven't, I've started to look around. It's almost time for me to replace the one that I have now with some kind of foam one with no springs in it. So, I don't know, maybe I'll give that one a shot.
0: You know, go to the bed store. That's what I did. You can order it online and do like the 100 day in-house thing. But
1: yeah, I just went down to the store and I
0: tried out all the different beds and and this, that, and the other. I mean, I was prejudiced. I went in there pretty much knowing I was going to buy a purple. Yeah. But um, I tried out the memory foam beds, mm-hmm. yeah. and I, I hated it because, it, like, it made a hole. It made a bill-shaped hole. And the second I rolled <laughs> over, I, like, fell into the hole, never to yeah, return.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, a, that's definitely – if you need if you need to put crampons and uh, and a bunch of carabiners next to the bed when you go to sleep, you <laughs> probably want a different mattress. So.
0: I have to sleep with a harness just so I can get out of bed. Right, morning,
1: exactly. Yeah. Uh, a harness and a spotter. And the worst part is chasing <laughs> the damn – chasing the damn mountain goats out. Like, Get out of here, you. <laughs> so before
0: we start our show proper, I have my award-winning and always widely uh, popular
1: and well-received trivia question.
0: Tough one today. You got four in a row, and then uh, last week you, you right? did, you know. Flamed, you broke... out,
1: flamed out like evil Knievel jumping the Snake River Canyon.
0: Yep, yeah, you know, broke you broke the streak last week, so let's see if we can start up a new streak. Here we go, ready? Yes. Which television show had the most
1: spin-offs? Which television show had the most spinoffs? Yes. Okay. All right. I got to think about this one, but I'll think about it. Mm-hmm. And then I'll give you an answer at the end of the show. Okay. Or I'll spin off an answer at the end uh-huh. of the show. How's that? huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm,
0: I'm, I'm going to give you a hint. There's a bit of a curveball.
1: I'm sure there is.
0: Yep. But this is the week beginning. September the 27th. And because I started last
1: week, it must be your turn. It is indeed. September 27th, 1964. The Warren Commission, which is the commission meant to uh, examine and make a determination on the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, reveals that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. Thus, providing the Grassy providing... <laughs> the, grassy the woman, thus providing a, a a career path for one Oliver Stone. <laughs> Believe what you want. It, this wasn't the first thing that became like a giant conspiracy theory, but it's the one that I remember the most because it seems to be the one that spread the furthest and seeded a whole bunch of other weird anti-government conspiracy theories in its wake. So right. the the multiple shooters for JFK definitely is is something to be to be looked at. Oh, well, thankfully,
0: nothing like that goes on anymore. Thanks. Oh, of course, the, course thanks not. No, to, no. <laughs> thanks to the internet. Of course.
1: <laughs> The internet is where I learned that Slea Stacks killed Elvis Presley. <laughs> and the, the frogs are gay.
0: Um, I watched a really good documentary about the the ballistics behind the, the Kennedy assassination. And they were talking about like the yaw of the bullet, which is a term I had never heard before, which is yaw. the ten- yaw.
1: Yaw. Yaw, the bullet went right through him. Yaw <laughs>
0: apparently uh lee harvey oswald was part swedish right Lee harvey oswald so anyway um the yaw of the bullet is the tendency of the bullet to pitch upwards Mm -hmm. and all that was and they were talking about that uh another thing that i was not really well aware of until that documentary and then uh, i have a friend that mentions it a lot too john f kennedy had horrific back problems And wore a back brace. Mm -hmm. But, like, nobody except like, Jackie Onassis and Marilyn Monroe really ever saw it. (laughs) Right, right. Which is why whenever you see, like, the Sabruder film and he's, like, coming down the street, he he looks like a bobblehead because that's, like, the only part of him that's moving because his head kind of, like, jostling around. Because he has this, like, back brace that he's strapped into, which is another reason, like, whenever he got shot, he didn't really fall over. Because he was being held up by this enormous back brace, yeah. He's basically walking around wearing, like, a baseball catcher's equipment.
1: Oh, (laughs) jeez. That must have been tough. Well, I bet he forgot all about his back pain. (laughs) It's like acupuncture. You know, a
0: a bullet in the side of the head just makes it all go away.
1: Back feels great. It's (laughs) fantastic right now. Um, There are still people who can make credible arguments that it couldn't possibly have been one dude with one rifle in one window. And it's really fun to go back and watch the way sort of people can continuously pick apart because there's enough motive around for like Sam Giancana, the mob guy and the government wanting stuff to go on in Cuba and Fidel Castro and all these other things that are all right. part of this, this big stew of espionage and strangeness.
0: And there's like the one video that I saw in some, some conspiracy theory video that I watched. There was this one clip that they showed that was chilling that you see, I think it was Johnson, like winking at somebody like, he, like, immediately coming out of the hospital. He,
1: right. like, he like winked at somebody. Like, ha we pulled it off, kind of a thing. Uh, he's probably showing his gigantic member to a nurse. Like, yeah, I got some. I got some in the waiting room. <laughs> Guess he got his candy striped. Yeah. <laughs> Guess he got his candy striped. That's right. She'd never seen the Texas big snake like that before. <laughs> so there you go. The Warren Commission. Still disputed some, what feels like, 100 million years later. 50-some-odd yeah. years after that. 55 years or so.
0: The truth may never be known. Unless, of course, you... You know look up facts and stuff like that exactly exactly all right so uh moving on to the 28th September 28th 1920 what is known as the black sox scandal mm. eight members of the Chicago White sox are indicted for accepting bribes to throw the World Series
1: yeah 1919 World Series they were all banned
0: from baseball even though they were eventually acquitted but yeah they were all banned from uh from ever playing baseball ever again
1: They had a lot kind of working against them. One is they flamed out spectacularly in the World Series. Mm. And two, it was they hadn't really established rules about taking money Hmm. for stuff. So eh, some ethical questions that suggest they may have been able to throw the game if they took money. But baseball's always had a weird kind of undercurrent of (laughs) things that are shady for until somebody realizes like, hey, you can't do that. And then they amend the rules. You
0: never said we couldn't
1: take a bribe. What do, you, what do you mean, this guy? I can't take 50 bucks. Like, you guys only pay me $85 a month. <laughs> you know, I can't take 50 bucks from this other guy so that, you know, to make that? Dan- nope, not anymore. Baseball, for all its
0: weirdness and all of its really extravagant rules... It seems if you don't write it down, people will do it. You know, all... <laughs> yeah,
1: that's a great description of how baseball rules came to be. <laughs> yeah. Like
0: all the different ways of like, you know, spitballs and stuff like that. Right. I, re- I remember uh, as a kid hearing about a pitcher that used to put a little bit of Vaseline on the brim of his hat. Mm hmm. And then he would wipe his thumb on his hat to pick up the Vaseline to uh, load up the ball for a a spitball.
1: Baseball is funny that way. And I guess it goes to show that for a game that moves as slowly as baseball does, and baseball moves pretty slowly, it's still like a living organism that's constantly under periods of evolution that are punctuated by things like this kind of scandal. I know at some point in this year, we're going to bump into the week where, I forget the, the pitcher's name, but the guy throws a perfect game while he's wanked on LSD. <laughs> <laughs> so You didn't I'm, say I'm, I
0: couldn't take
1: LSD. Exactly. I don't see that in writing anywhere. You can say that. Not until <laughs> next year when you see the amendments. was like, now, nah, you can't do that. Oh, that's, <laughs> that guy ruined it. You didn't say I couldn't play completely naked. Right. All right, moving on to the 29th. The 29th, 1986. I don't know how well you remember the TV show Airwolf. But it moves from a major network, ABC, CBS, and NBC, I think it was on CBS, to the nascent new USA Network. So it becomes a cable only series, but it's one of the first series that's produced specifically by a cable channel. Oh, uh,
0: wow. What year is that?
1: 1986.
0: Okay, because later on, the USA Network would just basically be WWE wrestling and Lauren Order reruns.
1: Yes. Okay, so they actually had Airwolf at one point, huh? They had Airwolf at one point. They used to have some, like, anthology TV shows and stuff, too, and they had boxing and things. But uh, this was one of the first ones that they picked up from a major network and made their own. (laughs) funny story about Airwolf was I was married to someone who, turns out, was, like, an authority on all aspects of that TV show. And I didn't learn this until later to being married to her. That is
0: a, a, a niche I mean,
1: were, I, knew yeah. C- I knew Cindy pretty good. I didn't know yep. she was a big Airwolf fan. I, I was married to her, and I didn't know she was a big Airwolf fan either. <laughs> and w- I happened to be walk in. It was one of those, like, I walked in on her explaining to my son, who at the time was maybe f- six years old, yep. what was going on in an episode of Airwolf. But it was like the last, very last season of Airwolf where okay. now everything was made in Canada. Right. And they just had the helicopter pictures. Like, the, that was all that remained of the original Airwolf. Right. And then everything else was done in these terrible sets. And she's explaining who each of these, like, 25 different Canadian actors is and characters are and the character arcs for them. <laughs> and it, I said, how do you know this much about Airwolf? And she goes, I watched this show every single day. It was on after school. And I used to tape it. And I used to keep watching it over and over again. And it turns <laughs> out she, like, literally knew everything. She could tell me that, like, the season season episode day episode title sometimes the director she's she was like a Wikipedia article on <laughs> an airwolf it was crazy and like she also knew baseball stats way better than anybody I've ever met oh, so really? if you're gonna fill your brain up with useless stuff airwolf and baseball there there are worse things to fill your brain up with
0: <laughs> that's so funny because like uh, uh, she was like you know very literal, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't mean that like the kids say it. I mean, she re- she read a lot. She was uh, yeah. uh, very artsy and stuff like that. And then she just had these, like, two things that don't fit in at all. Yeah. You know? Airwolf. Airwolf Perfect. being one of them. That's like my friend Rob. Primarily, he listens to death metal. That's, like, yep.
1: the extent
0: of his music. And he also loves disco.
1: I see. Yeah. Like, like so, I I totally get that.
0: Yeah. So it's like... You know all these bands that like you know, mm, mm. I can't even remember the names of these bands, but it's all this like Viking death metal bands, and and then you'll see like yeah, Donna, was, Donna Summer and the Bee Gees in his CD yeah, collection.
1: Yeah. The, the the band that looks like their name is just spelled out in spilled sticks. Yeah. Like, I don't know what your name is, but it's like it looks like it says mayonnaise, but I'm sure that's not the letters. Uh,
0: <laughs> it looks like the vinyl on a chair that's cracking. Yeah.
1: <laughs> all
0: right, uh, September 30th, 1846. The first successful tooth extraction using anesthesia. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was performed by Doctor William Morton
1: using ether. Ah, I'd like a clarifying. I'd like to ask a clarifying question, if I may. I
0: have several myself. Did, did you say successful yeah, tooth first, extraction?
1: First successful. <laughs> so this could go one of two ways.
0: It was either like, you know, the guy wakes up, and he's like, "So did you do it?" And he's like, "No, nah, we
1: couldn't get it out of there. We were unsuccessful." <laughs> or okay. Or he died. (laughs)
0: Because ether's tricky.
1: Ether's tricky. Yes. I think Morton was the guy who started to push it around and popularize it because he had a way to process for manufacturing it. There was a time where it was in competition with nitrous oxide as the best anesthesia to use for medical stuff. Uh, Nitrous oxide doesn't do anything. I think, well, I love nitrous oxide. (laughs) I have uh, had nitrous oxide once when I had teeth pulled, extracted even. And I felt like I was looking at two ducks (laughs) who were flapping over my face. And that was the dentist who had his two hands and one foot in my mouth, taking out a tooth. And the dental hygienist who had no hands and no feet in my mouth. But both of them with their arms moving were like flapping arms. And with their mask and goggles on, I swear to God, they were both ducks.
0: My dentist now... I, I like quite a bit, we have a great rapport. We joke around a lot. I joke around with everybody in the, in the office. I specifically make my appointments like late in the day so that I can hang out afterwards. But my dentist prior to this guy, I used to call him Dr. Kevorkian. I had to, <laughs> I had to have a, a root canal one time, right? He convinced me and somehow I believed him that because the roots were dead, I wouldn't feel anything. So there was no need for Novocaine.
1: Oh yeah, I've had that. Somebody play that trick on me. You
0: are a lying son of a bitch.
1: <laughs> so here's what happened,
0: right? So I'm over there, you know. the yeah. guy's got a, you know, his hand in my mouth up to his elbow almost, and he's yeah, doing yeah, the root yeah. canal. You know how, like when you were in class when you know, we were a teenager and you're just kind of like nodding off and you get that, that split second of sleep Yes, that one. You feel it. That one split second of sleep. So I'm yeah. in the chair, and I felt that. I felt the split second of sleep, and I'm thinking to myself, "This is how awesome I am. I am blocking out this pain and discomfort so well that I actually fell asleep for a second, and then it happened again. And I realized wow. what was happening was I was passing out from the pain, as it was
1: <laughs> from the pain, yeah. as it was yanking yeah. the nerves
0: out of my head, which were not quite dead they were yeah yeah. grabbing the nerve uh you know the the pain sensor with a pair of tweezers and pulling it out does not feel grand at all yeah
1: i have lived through that as well i went into shock after that was done (laughs) i had i had a dentist i had a dentist as a teenager i'm not gonna drop any names but he was the kind of dentist who if you were i'm gonna guess a pretty lady Mm -hmm. sometimes you woke up with your clothes on backwards after (laughs) he had you in the chair there Whenever he pulled out my wisdom
0: teeth, right, Uh, I I didn't get put out for that. uh, That was done, you know, just with Novocaine. Thankfully, he used Novocaine for that. The top two, they've just popped right out. The bottom right hand side. I thought he was gonna rip my head off of my body. <laughs> What's that, uh, Peter Sellers movie? There, he's like, "Let me put my foot on your chest for leverage." Yeah,
1: oh, that's uh, the the pink. The, the, yes, the Pink Panther strike back. Yeah, pack.
0: that's what I was uh, uh, picturing. I really thought he was gonna pull my head off. And then my other wisdom yeah. tooth, like number four of the series, just yeah. showed up a couple of years ago. Like last guy showing
1: up to the party. Hey, is there any beer left? All right. Mine came in sideways, like it had broken its legs on impact uh, on birth, <laughs> and then it smashed into the tooth in front of it and snapped off the root. That's what mine was like.
0: You had that weird tooth that was like growing in the middle of the, middle of your
1: top palate too, didn't yeah. you?
0: Yep. That's still there. Ye- well, uh, that's my secret weapon for eating Oreos. Uh,
1: kind of, sort of. It's yeah. still it's it's still in the wrong place, but it's not quite in the middle anymore. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to October the first. October the first, nineteen eighty-two. The Walt Disney Corporation opens up the Epcot Center in Orlando, Florida. Ooh, which is a big deal. Like that was the first like major league expansion of that park since it was opened eleven or eleven years earlier, nineteen seventy-one. Yeah. Disney World, like the the Mm landmass, is actually
0: bigger than some sovereign countries. Yeah, it's huge.
1: Well, it has a whole international area in the middle, so it's like the United Nations of countries, right? That
0: too. Well, Epcot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. What does Epcot stand for? Do you know?
1: Uh, extremely Pleasant Country. Oh, the Time Lords. I don't know.
0: Okay. Uh, it stands for
1: the Experimental Prototype
0: Community of Tomorrow.
1: Oh, I guess at the Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow, they sell a lot of pretzels. Uh the
0: idea that our our friend Walt Disney had cuz he never got to see, he died long before Epcot came to fruition but it was like his idea but he wanted it to be this like self-contained thing like the people that live there also
1: work there
0: Oh yeah, like,
1: like, a, like a company town. That, those always yeah. work out good. Right.
0: The rules for living there were going to be like, you know, to live there, you have to be employed. You have to have a job. That way there was no you know slums that would pop up or whatever. Right, right, right. Old people weren't allowed to live there because old people are retired and they don't have jobs and this, that and the other. And because it was all self-contained, they were like, and yeah, you don't get to vote either. And it was like, yeah, this sounds like a horrible community. Right. So that,
1: didn't, he watch, didn't he watch his own movie, like The Black Hole, which is kind of like that in space right. on
0: the Cygnus? I, I think that came out after he died, too. Oh, well, you know, yeah.
1: yeah, they they probably made it's that movie shame. like
0: they were looking at his plans for Epcot Center and like, this sounds like a dystopian <laughs> nightmare.
1: <laughs> can, we, Quick, can we make it Get, get Roddy
0: McDowell, the voice of robot for us. And
1: tell
0: <laughs> us how to do it. So now Epcot Center is, you know, it's broken up into kind of like different sections. Uh, the beginning when you first walk it is like the land of tomorrow, um, which kind of seals its own fate, because if you don't keep up with the technology, the land of tomorrow becomes the land of today and then ultimately the land of yesterday. So right. things have to constantly change over at Epcot Center. You know, oops, sh- we didn't think about that. Uh, the back section of Epcot is what they call the World Showcase. And they have, yeah, they have little different sections that are representative of different countries. And it was supposed to expand to include many, many new countries along the way. Right. But out of the original set, they added like two new ones like in the 90s. And then they haven't added any since.
1: And I'm going to guess it isn't like, like there used to be it at certain world's fairs and stuff. I think even for a while in New York City, there was a cultural, I'm saying that with air quotes, cultural exhibits right. of. Indigenous peoples, <laughs> right. so they have like Inuits and Piggies well, yeah. from New Guinea and stuff who like they don't have jobs. They live like in an enclosure that's like a zoo enclosure that looks like Papua New Guinea or you know <laughs> the middle of like New Brunswick, Canada, wherever.
0: That was the other idea for Epcot Center
1: was to be kind of like a permanent World's Fair. I'm sure that works out well. Yeah, when you have Walt, we can't have a human zoo. But why? Because why? we can't have a human
0: zoo walt. It's just it's just not done. You just so. can't do
1: it. <laughs> I wanted a human zoo. I, wanted to, I, wanted to open a...
0: I haven't been to Epcot in a long time. I'm making it my mission. I want to go down there this year. I'm going down to Florida in a couple of weeks. I want to go to Epcot while I'm there. Over the years they've kind of gotten away from, you know, the world showcase and the right. the other stuff that they have, like the you know, the land of tomorrow and stuff. And they've kind of like added more thrill rides. Mm-hmm. And stuff because you, you got to keep up with uh, right. popular- people. Don't
1: want to go to amusement parks to learn things, Bill. Yeah, they pop- want to go to amusement parks to go on roller coasters and get spun around so bad they throw up their nachos. Exactly
0: right. I remember some years ago we had gone down there, my friend Greg and I, and we had uh, procured some passes. Let's put it that way, and we got thrown out. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave you the uh, I'll leave out the details, but let's just say we are lucky. We just got thrown out and not arrested. Um but the next day we were back in the park and we managed to talk our way into the aquarium. Like on top of the living seas. Like I could've jumped into the tank and really got arrested. Yeah,
1: there you go. Or eaten.
0: Uh, or eaten, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Alright, so uh moving on from the Epcot Center to N Oasis. October the second, nineteen ninety-five. Oasis, rock band uh, Beatles' prototype of tomorrow, released their second album, What's the Story, Morning Glory? And it sells a record 347,000 copies in its first week.
1: That's the record where they sort of really broke hard in the United States with Champagne Supernova and Wonderwall. Yep. Uh, good record.
0: That's a fine album. Uh, and It's one of those albums where just about every track is good. Like, like the tracks that weren't released as singles are are fine. Like she's electric is one of my favorite songs on that album.
1: A lot. Of, one of the things that you'll know about Oasis is they a lot of their records are sound the same. Especially the records that have come after Oasis uh, fell apart because the two brothers hate one another. Right. So, so anything Noel Gallagher's in sounds like Oasis, and anything that Liam Gallagher's in also sounds like Oasis. You could be fooled into thinking that you're seeing either band if you don't really can't really tell the brothers apart. They're, they're, they're a tough-looking couple of brothers. Um, they are. Well, the thing is, like, yeah, you can tell is, like, Noel Gallagher has a guitar strapped on him. Yeah. Liam Gallagher doesn't. Yeah, he's a little, That's the yeah. only way you can tell. A more.
0: little tall, right? Did you ever see or hear the story about the last Oasis gig? No. Like, they got into, the two brothers got into a fight. and uh, That's unusual. Yeah, and, like, Liam was, like, gave him the two-finger salute and walked, walked out. So... The rest of the band continued and did the show, and Noel Gallagher sang all the songs. Meanwhile, Liam showed up for the gig and sat in
1: the balcony and just heckled the band through the entire show. Liam Gallagher's up there drinking and smoking in the balcony. He's like, well, come down here and sing. <laughs> come on down and sing. You know? All right. And he turned to the audience like, my brother's, you know, doesn't feel like coming down and singing to you guys tonight, so it's up to me. Sorry about that. I don't sing as well. Yeah. And, and played. I watched that when it aired. Oh, really? And it was, yeah, I, I remember that really well. That was a great, that was a great show. Oh. And it made me really appreciate Noel Gallagher as a performer because he was able to do that. Yeah. So. Liam Gallagher, I guess,
0: you're, you're just a dick, dude. If, I mean, I can understand there's been plenty of bands where the, the band members don't get along. But when it comes down to the show, it's not about you. It's about the audience. Suck it up. Go do a good show.
1: Right. Uh, exactly the same conversation that multiple people have had with, like, Axel Rose. <laughs> <laughs> Before he fl- flames out and destroys a tour.
0: Right. Poor Axel. Imagine that. We should put a super group together of, like, just band members that are just notoriously horrible to work with. Oh, yeah. Like, well, I mean, one of them's dead now, but get, like, the Van Halen brothers. Right, Jerry Only and and Glenn Danzig from the Misfits—they were notoriously right. hard to work together. The guys from the two brothers from Oasis and uh, uh,
1: d- um, uh, Chuck Berry. <laughs> 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 All right, guys, in the key of E, just follow along. Yeah. Who's that guy then?
0: <laughs> you know, you know what else, Sue? This three other members in Oasis that were just like kind of standing around with their dicks in their hand, like, yeah. um so we're going to play or uh, what are so going to do? Yeah.
1: Do we get paid if we don't go on stage? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> that whole group though, like everybody except for Noel, yep. they continued to tour, but not as Oasis. They became a band called BDI. Okay. And they've had like four or five different incarnations with, with people swapping in and out of the back that were in or involved with Oasis at one point or another. So it's really hard to tell. It's like, a, it's like an Alabama family reunion. So
0: the guys in Oasis stuck with Liam and not with Noel? Yeah. Liam seems like he's the dicky one of the bunch. Uh,
1: he's the front of the band. Oh, yeah. Well. And for all his dickishness, his brother is apparently also a giant twerp. Yeah, well, at least... The, so. But do wrote all the songs, but whatever. Well, again, if you listen to BDI, yep. you can tell. <laughs> all right, and wrapping it up on the 3rd... Uh, October 3rd, 1992, Sinead O'Connor, the musical guest on an episode of Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. begins her musical performance by tearing a picture of the pope in half Ah. causing widespread consternation amongst the uh cast of snl as well as the press the next for the next 25
0: years right yeah um yeah so uh she was doing a cover of a bob marley song i don't remember the name of the song um it's immaterial at this point but um when she finished wrapping up the song she like, reached down into this like little basket that she had with her and produced a picture of Pope John Paul II and said, fight the real enemy and ripped up the picture of said Pope. What she was talking about was the Catholic Church's hideous record of sweeping child abuse under the rug. And instead right. of uh, bringing these horrifically bad people to justice, or at least kicking them out of the clergy, they just swept it under the rug and moved them around from town to town, allowing them to have their way with more, you know, innocent children. So she was protesting against that and the world jumped down her throat for it and it destroyed her career. It destroyed her, she was on top of the
1: world at that point
0: and it destroyed her career. She was, uh, she basically went it's a hiding for that point forward.
1: Yeah, I don't know if she went into hiding as much. She she stayed in the Irish music scene for a little while, mm-hmm. came out every now and then to do things like Shane McGowan's birthday party and some other stuff. Right. She became a, a practicing Muslim and, and sort of became a recluse. Now, in earlier in 2021, she put her autobiography out and got a whole bunch of press because, one, the autobiography sold a lot. Yep. And, two, she started to talk like in detail about things like tearing up the picture of the Pope and some allegations that her relationship with prince was non-consensual and and some other stuff that sort of helped explain or flesh out some of the the things that didn't seem to make sense if you look back at her career like some of the decisions that she made yeah. so there's a lot in that in that autobiography that clarify a lot of a lot of questions that that folks might have had it's it's tragic too because she definitely got a rough turn of it and and it was before the me too movement and she had no power to really say right anything.
0: and she yeah and she suffered from depression for a lot of years too which you know i'm gonna guess is also you know spawning from just the, this one moment in time and right i'll i've said it before and i'll say it again hey <laughs> turns out she was right right um disgusting uh, maybe I'm being controversial at this point but I'll say it just disgusting what went on within the Catholic Church and what she was actually protesting about sorry
1: there's only so much you can do with an audience that fast to try and make an impact and it's a shame that it, it's a shame that it wasn't understood in the spirit that it was right. meant at the time it, it would have helped a lot <sighs> I think
0: okay all right let's all right so let's snap out of the uh, that kind of a deal and let's uh, get into the celebrity birthdays because birthdays are hap Birthday's a happy. All right. All right, uh so September the twenty seventh, nineteen eighty four, Canadian superstar rock and roller, I guess. Uh Miss Avril Levine. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah, you don't sound like you have too much to say about her.
1: I I well, I can name one Avril Levine song only because we've talked about a potential yes. worst song ever. But I've never heard of any of her music, and I think I saw her in the movie Fast Food Nation. No, yeah. But that's literally all yeah, I Yeah, she,
0: she was not uh, much in that movie either. She had, like, one line, I think. Uh, but uh, Albert Levine, she's, you know, a Canadian pop star. They kind of pushed her forward with, you know, kind of like an edgy little role model for little girls. And um, she put out a couple of albums. And then she got married to, I can't remember his name, but he was, like, the singer for that, like, pop-punk band Sum 41. And then she put out this album called The Best Damn Thing, and, and I'll go on record, I'll probably be embarrassing myself, but I'll stand by that album. That's a that's a good post-punk album. And then she wasn't married to him anymore, and she got married to the guy from Nickelback, and her career went in that direction. Oh, but oh yeah, she put out a, a, a song called Hello Kitty, which is about a girl sleepover. You can... Work your way outwards from there. And we will likely be covering that on Worst Song Ever coming soon to a podcast near you.
1: All right. Next up. September 28th, 1967, Frank Zappa's only daughter, Moon Unit Zappa, is born in uh New York City. Ah. Moon's interesting in that she ended up making uh Frank Zappa's only number one record with him, and she did it so that she could literally spend time and get to know her father. She was a teenager, late teenager by then. So it was like nineteen eighty or right. so. Right. She did
0: the lead vocals which for for Valley. For the song girl. "Valley Girl," right, which was right. which was a huge hit. I remember them doing like well. the The song was it was a, you know it's a Frank Zappa song, and it was her, it was Moon, moon Unit, just talking in all this like Valley Girl slang. The, I remember hearing on Casey Kasem's American Top Forty, her talking and saying, "Yeah, the thing is, is I'm not a Valley Girl. I don't talk like that. I." I'm around right. people that talk like that, but I'm I don't I don't talk right. like that.
1: Yeah. It's, it sort of falls in with this sort of type of music that Frank Zappa used to do to illustrate some of the weirdness of the like just general life around him. So, good song, uh, interesting yeah. person, and the only number one. She was
0: on she was featured on that Gene Simmons album that we talked about a couple of weeks ago.
1: <coughs> That's right. Yes. And oh my
0: god, do you remember when she was on Solid Gold performing? <laughs>
1: Yes, I've watched that video many times.
0: (laughs) It's so funny. It's so apparent that she doesn't want to be there. She's like out there in this like sundress, like lip syncing her parts, and all the solid gold dancers are trying to make it look enthusiastic. But it's just
1: that that song has a weird timing signature. Like it's a Frank Zappa song, so it's not four four measure for sure. Right, and it's weird. And she definitely doesn't look comfortable. She's not a performer.
0: And speaking of performers that aren't very comfortable, especially in two thousand and twelve. Uh, Moving on to September the 29th, 1958, Andrew Dice Clay. Comedian, yeah, very, very, very popular in his time. He started in the early 80s. I remember seeing him uh, in a movie called Night Patrol. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah, he was in Night Patrol. That was like the first time I remember seeing him. My friend Craig and I used to rent videos from you know, the video rental store and there was this cassette we rented it a bunch of times because it was so funny it was called dirty dirty jokes it was a bunch of comedians and dice was on there and then maybe a year later we're watching hbo uh remember they used to do the young comedian specials yeah yep and dice was on there and We're like oh my god it's dice that guy was so funny um yeah he just exploded from there like I saw Dice Clay perform at a sold out Providence Civic Center. So wow. we we're, we're talking like like what 13, 14,000 people. 1, people yeah. yeah, he sold the place out. I mean, that's unheard of for a comedian.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, he was absolutely huge. He made his shtick being offensive. And in 1986, you could get away with such things. It's uh I've gone back and listened to like his first album. <laughs> it's it's uncomfortable, just not because of the jokes. I mean, jokes are jokes, whether they're funny or not is not the issue. It's the response from the audience because people weren't laughing at what he was saying. They were cheering. Yeah. So he's saying all these like horrifically like racist and homophobic comments, and people are cheering. So it wasn't really like watching Dice Clay. It was like watching Tucker Carlson.
1: <laughs> yes, I I remember his uh his young comedian special as well and I remember having to show an ID to buy one of his tapes oh, cuz wow, my yeah. brother was under 18, yeah. Yep.
0: I mean, he's still around. Occasionally you'll see him pop up and last thing I saw he was doing cameos. I guess he still has an audience although I looked at his Spotify and he has less than 16,000 monthly listens, which I guess is okay for a comedian, you know? I don't know how many people go to Spotify to listen to comedians, but...
1: Fair enough. All right, moving on to the 30th. Uh, September 30th, 1917, American jazz drummer Buddy Rich uh, is unleashed on the world to uh, fill it with drumming. Yeah. I saw Buddy Rich at... He used to come and play at the Feast of the Blessed Sacrament. Oh, or um, the Feast, the, as we call feast it. Feast New Bedford. As, as, as we called, call it locally, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow, he used to come down and play there, huh? Yeah, he used to come down and play there. I saw him I, I want to say twice. I know my dad brought me out there a couple times. Yeah. Um, and it was specifically to see the Buddy Rich on Buddy Rich night. Uh I remember him having a tremendously huge drum set. Was it didn't wrap around him like Neil Peart's, but it was like a there wall was a, of drums. It yeah. was a wall of drums, yeah. And he had a he had a band with him, um the Buddy Rich Orchestra, and they would play. And he his his was interesting because everything that he played was built around the drum solo. Every single song had a drum solo in it. He was clearly the star of the show. It was great. It was an awesome showman. Yeah,
0: I think he was like the, one of the, if not the first, one of the first drummers that people actually like paid attention to. Like, mm-hmm. he was he was the showpiece of the band instead yeah, of just being of instead of being the timekeeper. He said he never took any lessons, and he also said that he never practiced. And um, yeah, we'll take yeah. that with with a pinch of salt.
1: I'll, I'll give that the 1919 Chicago White Sox <laughs> thumbs down. I don't believe that's true. Acquitted.
0: All right, so moving on to October the 1st, uh, TV character actor Tom Bosley, who most people would know as Father Downing from Father Downing's Mysteries, I'm only kidding, uh, most people would know him as the patriarch of the Cunningham family on uh seminal TV show, Happy Days.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's like the TV dad I remember from when I was a kid. Yep. Um not just from Happy Days, though, like in a conversation that you and I had.
0: Last week, oh, yeah. No, we... last,
1: last week when we were recording, you, you asked me if I remember the show, wait till your father gets home. And I said, sure I do. Yeah. And you said, you remember who d- the voice for the father? And I said, I have no idea. Yeah. And it was Tom Bosley.
0: Right. And uh, I went back and I watched like some clips of that. And that fits in about as well as Dice Clay. Um, <laughs>
1: it's Definitely dated in a bad way. Yeah,
0: but uh, Tom Bosley—he did a couple of movies. He was like in *Your, Yours, Mine, and Ours*, but most of his work is all television. Yeah. He, yep. Seemed like a nice enough guy. I actually remember whenever *Happy Days* they had their final episode, it was—you uh, know Joni was marrying Chachi, and. Hmm. Uh, for
1: foreshadowing. Yeah, and that's
0: foreshadowing. That's foreshadowing, kids. And whenever he did the toast for the wedding. About halfway through the toast, he turned towards the camera and then started talking, like, breaking the fourth wall and talking to the audience. It was really cool.
1: Nice. And I'm sure after that and before the Father Dowling Mysteries, yep. I'm sure he, he did a couple of stints on, you know, Love Boat or Fantasy Island or yeah. <laughs> or God knows what else. You know, those, those shows where it's like an ensemble cast mixed in with the regular weekly cast.
0: Yeah, right, right, right.
1: You know. Welcome to Fantasy Island. What would you like, Mr. Bosley? Oh, I want Marion Ross for real. <laughs> getting in them. I'm getting under that apron right now. <laughs> I see the way she looks at Fonzie. I want her to look at me like that.
0: It's a, oh, Howard, you're getting frisky. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to the second. Speaking of frisky, somebody that can stay. Speaking of
1: frisky, somebody can stay frisky for days at a time. It's rumored to stay frisky for days at a time. Although he is currently residing in the Where Are They Now file. Yep. October second, 1951. Yep. Gordon Sumner, known better to the world as Sting, the lead singer and bass player for the Police, yep, maker of adult contemporary records in the nineteen eighties <laughs> that are less desirable than spending an evening with Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> um, the Police
0: are one of my top five favorite bands of all time. I absolutely love the Police, and I think I own one Sting solo album, and I never bought anymore after that.
1: Definitely falls into the. This is music for grown-ups. Sure. I don't know how to describe it. Category right. like he's too good to play police songs now, like with any oomph. So I'm gonna make like artsy music that's super overproduced and. and uh. Hey, we could
0: stick Sting into our uh, battle royale band. Oh Here's yes, another one
1: that's yes, like, we get people that are hard
0: to work. Notoriously with. Yes. hard to work with. Yeah. Yes. Sting was the principal songwriter for the Police. He wrote like 99 percent of the songs, but occasionally the other guys would write stuff, like maybe one or two songs per album. Right. And there's an instrumental on I think it's on the Zenyatta Bandana album, the other guys in the band wrote it. And Sting hated it so much that he took the tapes, put them in a shoebox, and buried it behind the <laughs> studio. And he wrote he wrote on the box behind my camel. So whenever they found like the box or he told them where the box was and all that, they were like, it's just behind my camel. What's behind my camel? And Sting goes, a big pile of shit <laughs>
1: Gosh, I wonder why they don't tour anymore.
0: <laughs> and uh, wrapping up the birthday, sadly, this one won't have a reunion tour either. On October the 3rd, 1944, Roy Horn appeared in the world. Um, oh, yeah. Roy Horn is the Roy of Siegfried and Roy.
1: Oh, I like those guys. They're great.
0: <laughs> wow. That was, that's tough. That's a tough joke. Yep, Roy uh, and Siegfried and Roy were German magicians. They were German, weren't they? They're German magicians, yeah, I think. Yeah, uh, magicians—they had big, huge, spectacular uh, illusion shows over in Las Vegas for many, many, many years. Their shows featured lots of big cats, yeah. and unfortunately, it was right on Roy's birthday too. Roy was attacked by one of their big cats on the stage. He lived on, but he, he never was able to, you know, perform ever again after that. And then he passed away sadly uh, last year. You know, complications led up from being mauled by a giant cat. Yeah,
1: Eesh. yeah, that sucks. And I guess I remember when that this happened, and there was a big outcry. Not so much for like sympathy for Roy Horn, but it was more like, well, why do you work with those giant animals for anyway? No one should have those giant animals. Blah blah. And there was this like big discussion of the ethical nature of like having giant animals in a in an act. Right, as opposed to like. Man, this dude who's been taking care of these animals for thirty years, very, very well, right, just got his face eaten.
0: Yeah, those tigers you know. were living high off the hog. It's not like they were, uh, right? You know, they weren't being pampered, right? And right, that, right, right. you would see them. You know, they had a genuine love back and forth with the, with the cats and and him. You know, him and Siegfried. Yeah, it was that was an unfortunate incident? Penn and teller. Or Penn because he's the one that's a big mouth. Make fun of the, like the way that they dress and perform and stuff like that because they were very flashy and Penn and Teller aren't. Every time he made fun of them, they were, you know either Siegfried or Roy would call him up and say, would thank him. He was like, oh, thank you so much for the press, right for the
1: yeah, for they, the they were, for they, the mention.
0: He goes, they they were impossible to hate. They were just great guys.
1: Yeah, I, I've heard that they were super nice to their fans too, and and were always accessible and.
0: And, uh, hey, you know who's not really nice to his fans and accessible?
1: No. The Worst
0: Song Ever. So, our feature for this week's Worst Song Ever uh, is our good friend, and we just kind of briefly mentioned him a couple of seconds ago, Scott Baio. Jeff, Uh. did you know that Scott Baio
1: recorded a couple of albums? I have a vague, fuzzy, gloomy, foggy (laughs) memory of him releasing music when I was in my very, very late childhood.
0: Yeah, it feels more like a fever dream than anything else. It is almost impossible to get confirmation that this guy recorded music because I I, I know he did because he had a song called What Was In That Kiss? A song about roofies, apparently. Yes, yeah, he had another another (laughs) single called... How Do You Talk to Girls, which was actually a cover song by Rick Springfield. But let's yeah. let's just concentrate on this single, What Was in That Kiss. Here's the clip. Oh, last night
1: When we were together It all just fell into place Oh, last
0: night Should have gone on forever Give me some credit, uh, you and and whoever's listening. The amount of research that you and I both do for this show is, is extensive. And then there's stuff like this. I took one for the team, dude. i listened to this entire album.
1: <laughs> look, dude, we do this by choice. Yeah. No one sentenced us to make Twibbly. So yeah, uh, the only person you can blame is yourself for that one. Yeah,
0: I know. It's like, hey, let's come up with this, another segment. We're going to call it the worst song ever. Whoa, I didn't think that one out. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Scott Baio, for whatever reason, put out this first self-titled album. And you look at the album cover, and he's doing that pose, that kind of like... Laying down, propped up on one elbow, pose that Michael Jackson made famous on uh, Thriller, and I think Lionel Richie rocked that same pose. Well, this guy
1: oh yeah, and the same one that that's on like the Leaf Garrett album cover. I know exactly what pose you yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter Frampton, probably. Same. yeah.
0: Like to the best that I can. Like looking for this information, dude, was like looking for Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah. Literally, almost nothing you can find out about the Scott Baio albums. It doesn't even appear on Scott Baio's Wikipedia page. Right. Like whoever did the bio for uh, Scott Baio. Scott Baio was probably like. Yeah, if you could not mention that, that'd be awesome. <laughs> that'd be great that'd be great. so awesome.
1: Well, yeah. And th- these kind of came out right at the. I mean, I think Joni Loves Chachi ran what for what two seasons? It didn't last no, a super long don't time, right? I think it made
0: a whole season.
1: Right? So, this is like right when that show was at its the height of its, po- of its popularity, not that it was super popular. Right. 82, 82 and 83. 82 and 83. No. So, th- they could have changed the name of the show. Is J- Joni thinks Chachi needs a new agent? Yep. Or <laughs> Joni thinks Chachi should stop singing. Yep.
0: If Chachi doesn't stop bringing home some money, Joni's out of here.
1: Joni thinks Chachi's fooling himself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't listen to the second album, and I, I might not. Uh, I did listen to this first album, though. It sold enough copies where it it made it all the way up to 181 on the uh, Billboard album charts. So I guess it sold, you know,
1: some some, some
0: records. The album was advertised as a major market breakout and claimed that the single here, what was in that kiss, was a hit. But no, that wasn't true at all. (laughs) It wasn't a hit unless there was a missing S at the beginning of the song. Uh, <laughs> I know I've made that joke I, before, but I, whatever.
1: Sure, yes, I'm sure this record was bought for a lot of like ten to twelve year old girls who watched Chachi because he was the the new Fonzie on what would become Joni Loves Chachi, right? Wah, wah, wah. And without anybody li- ever listening to it, and I'm sure they were like, "Oh, I've got the Scott Baio thing." And, so and listen to it once, and we're like, "This is terrible. I'm never going to play this record again." But I can stick the album thing on my wall now. And I'm pretty sure that's it was like an expensive poster.
0: Uh, the album itself, keep in mind, that it came out in 1982 and then the follow-up in 1983. If you listen to it, it doesn't sound like 1980s music. It sounds no. more like 1970s music. It definitely does, right. yes. So, And the production of it, his vocals don't sound like they were recorded... I mean obviously they weren't recorded at the same time. You know, it's not like he was singing with a live band. But it doesn't sound like they were even recorded in like the same era. Year? Yeah. Yeah. Like the like yeah. these tapes were just like sitting around like, hey, we need some songs for somebody to sing. All right. Here's the lyric sheet. Do what you do what you will. You know? Remember a few weeks ago we were talking about William Hung? Yes. All right. Scott Bayo doesn't sing as bad as William Hung, but at least William Hung had like heart. And character and charisma. And character, and charisma. Yes, yes, for sure. Scott Baio is just he's blah blah blah, and that's a yeah, that's he's... an inside joke. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> I, I will say that he went on to greater success than than as a singer. Yes. Um, remember the movie Zapped?
0: I do. He was uh was and, with Zapped uh, with uh, uh, with,
1: Willy, with Willie with Ames. Uh,
0: yeah, long. Yeah, yeah. He also was on Charles in Charge with Willie Ames, Charles in charge. and uh, there's a third rail conversation that we're not going to have on this show.
1: Now, um, went on and he, he came in to fill in again for Henry Winkler's character on Arrested Development, yes. which was really funny yep. as Bob Loblaw. Yeah.
0: Bob Bob weird. Blah Blah's Blog. Yep. No what was so funny was whenever I was looking up Scott Bayo, one of the like recommended searches on Google was how does Scott Bayo make money? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sure he gets plenty of residuals for his, his all of his years in yeah. acting.
0: Well uh, I know over on Spotify, Scott Bayo has 171 monthly listens. Now, I ran the numbers. That comes out to a cool $6 at the end of the year. <whistles> Rolling in it.
1: I bet if you go to a used record store, you may be able to find your own record. For less I bet you you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you yeah, can't yeah. either. <laughs>
0: All right, so uh, before we go, I do have my award-winning and always well-received trivia question. The trivia question was: uh, What was the television show that had the
1: most spin-offs? All right, are you ready? I am. for me to start a new run of correct answers. Mm-hmm. My answer to this is Star Trek. It is not. So I'm going to go through the list of spin-offs that are in Star Trek, and you tell me if this show that you're going to tell me has fewer. Okay. Star Trek. Yep. Star Trek The Animated Series, Star Trek The Next Generation, mm-hmm. Star Trek Deep Space Nine, yep. Star Trek Voyager, Star Trek Enterprise, Star Trek Discovery, Picard, Star Trek Lower Decks, and Star Trek New Frontier.
0: All right. So that's 10. So maybe you are right, because the one I have here is, are you ready for this? I'm ready. Love American Style. Okay. Love American Style and it was an anthology series and Love American Style spawned Wait Till Your Father Gets Home, mm-hmm. which was an episode called Love and the Old-Fashioned Father. Right. And it had another episode called Love and the TV Set, which later became the Happy Days series. Now, the Happy Days series—oh, sorry. And then, um, then there was also the new Love American Style. So there's, there's three. Happy Days— Spawned Laverne and Shirley, Blansky's Beauties, Mork and Mindy, Out of the Blue, Fawns and the Happy Days Gang, and Joni Loves Chachi. That's 11.
1: I would argue that going from one seven minute anthology segment on Love American Style to Happy Days is a spin off. But if then I would that, say that Happy that, Days itself has yeah. its own set of spin offs and it's not specific to Love American Style. Yeah.
0: That's why I say it's a, it's a curveball. All right, so you know what? I'll give it to you. I'll say I'll say Star Trek, even though... Yeah, because that one's more direct, where Love American Style is more of an indirect. Right. But that's going to wrap up the show for this week. Uh, we will see you back here in seven days. Uh, have a great week, everybody. Say goodnight, right. Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye. All right, bye, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to Twibley or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Special thanks to James Kosser for our theme music. You can find us and message us on Instagram and Facebook using TwwBly. Make sure you tell all of your friends about our podcast. Then go out and make new friends and tell them about it too.